deep welcome to all of you who've shown up. I appreciate your timeliness or your being on time. Another opportunity to be together in this time of isolation. So many pull things pulling at our consciousness that we can benefit by the support of each other to stop, to keep quiet, to turn our attention away from the obsession of what's next and what's come before and look directly and lovingly at the reality of the present moment. If there are problems that are solved through our being together, that it will be a byproduct, not from being busy solving problems, be a byproduct of the, the deep, the potential deep healing that comes when our mind and body remain in the same location for a sustained period. Great benefit to our nervous system. Great clearing of our mind and a softening of our heart that comes from opening to and being gladdened by the life of the present moment. including all the strange sounds that pop up. It's also part of our presently arising experience. But we do aim for inner and outer quiet. We want to guard each other's solitude, each other's practice. Your presence is an act of generosity. Your attention is an act of generosity. Such an opportunity for wholesome, happy-making forces to enter our own hearts and the hearts of each other. So we always, as we begin a practice period, we try to recognize some of the things that are quite natural to our being. And the most important one is the fact that we are aware. And that that awareness, the very awareness through which you're perceiving, that sense of consciousness is, is quiet. And when that quiet awareness lights on your physical body, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant sensations, when it lights on your moods, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, when it lights on thoughts and images, sounds, that quiet awareness brings with it a non-contentiousness, a non-reactivity that soothes our reactive hearts. So be aware of the fact that you are aware. 
and sense how that awareness, that natural wakefulness is in some ways indestructible, always there. Try not to be aware it's there. But we try to bring a quality of mindfulness of that awareness, actually comprehending that we're aware. And then in support of the development of mindfulness and more frequent sense of being aware, we direct our attention to our bodies. We feel the way that the sensations of our sitting body actually brighten our mind, brighten our awareness, give it an anchor. And then we, we use the quality of our mind, quality of awareness called mindfulness to clearly comprehend the feeling of our body sitting, feeling of our body breathing, Because mindfulness, or in this case, interchangeably, awareness has no, it has no judgment, it just knows. We open to and welcome whatever the state of this body is. If it's agitated, we know this is agitation. If there's a subtle restlessness, we know this is restlessness. If there's dullness, we know this is dullness. Just attune to the state of our body, also attune to the state of our mind. Is the mind relaxed? Is there tension, mental, physical? Just take a weather report. All the while we're orienting ourselves to our real time experience. As we're a little bit more settled, more present, we can begin or continue the process of training our attention to stay here by giving our mind that anchor of the body, maybe more specifically for those who are open to this, more specifically the sensations that arise when our body breathes. We just go to our breath and we stay there as long as our attention continues, knowing that our attention, sometimes untrained, scatters quite easily. When you realize your attention has drifted, that's a moment of reawakening and we return again to that anchor of the body, anchor of the breath, wherever the breath is felt most clearly. May just be the gentle expansion, contraction of the whole body. Body breathing.
It may be a little more focalized, the rise and fall of the chest or belly. Or it may be knowing, receiving the sensations of the air as it passes the nostrils. Just receiving the breath wherever it's most clear, sustaining awareness through the duration of the in-breath, the out-breath, and keeping some body awareness in the space between the breaths, if there is one. Just letting that be your home base. Returning again and again. Just this breath, just this moment. No evidence of past, it's gone. No evidence for future, it's just an idea. It's just this immersion in life, right where it touches us. When sounds call our attention, just graciously notice hearing. When moods come, we just feel them. We notice whatever that flavor is of the present emotion or state of mind. When thoughts come, we just notice thoughts. Let them come and go and we return again. The simple anchor, body and breath, just this. Soft mind, open, welcoming, kind, attention clear and precise. Don't overlook the possibility of enjoying the experience, breath, of whatever it is that comes, even the things that are uncomfortable. Enjoying the fact that they are being noticed. The non-contentious awareness. Just this moment.
please remember that even though the sitting has a duration, every moment is a fresh opportunity to begin again. Is it open? Free. Whenever we wake up to where we are, we begin again.
As always, thank you for your practice, gift of your presence, and also, if you're willing, the gift of your voice when you say good evening to each other. Please feel free to unmute for a moment. Say hey. Uh, hi. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Hey, everybody. Good to see you all. Hi. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello. Great to see your faces. I think I'll save the I don't know what to do now. You're back. You're back. Thank you. Anyway, I uh, I thought I would postpone a little bit the Q&A, which I'd love to do toward the end if we have time, but I had some things that came up during the sitting and we'll see how it expresses itself. But just in seeing all of you and sensing how much you may not experience this, but it seems to me we offer so much by our presence with each other. Uh, even online, and the our interbeing, the sense of of not being alone apart from each other, uh, is so central to the teachings of non-self, non-separateness. Uh, and Thich Nhat Hanh has this beautiful passage which has been read at Mission Dharma a lot over the years. He says, you and me, you are me and I am you. Isn't it obvious we enter are? You cultivate the flower in yourself so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you, you support me. I'm in this world to offer you peace you are in this world to bring me joy. And it's true, you bring me joy by your, by your presence. And, and I'm just continually reminded, I throw out this line so often, the line from the teacher Nisargadot, where he says, the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. As long as people are the way they are, the world will continue to be the way it is. That if we want a peaceful world, it's necessary that there are peaceful people. Peace is not something that can be imposed on the world, but it starts within, uh, within each of us. And I share this all the time. And then tonight I was just thinking about the, the anti-vaxxers. Sorry to bring this in. Hopefully it doesn't stimulate too much um, ill will for any of you. But I can understand uh, a reasoned, uh, a deeply 
felt, thought out decision for the purpose of personal health to, uh, and some hesitation from long-standing traumas, collective otherwise, to hesitate to take a vaccine. But it's not just for ourselves. I support you, you support me. And it is at the heart of the teaching that for God's sakes, we get vaccinated, not for our, just for ourselves, but for each other to make, create a sense of safety, create a sense of, of, of goodwill. And somehow in our, in our, some, in our psychic life being in, in this culture anyway, and I think progressively it's getting that way in the world, uh, we've become from time to time, at least a large portion of the population has become so individualistic. Anytime we become excessively individualistic, we become afraid of the other. When we become afraid of the other, we become paranoid of the other. And then our mind in that tension of that false identity of being truly separate, the, the false identity of being separate creates so much inner tension. That tension goes somewhere and it usually expresses itself as a proliferation of ideas, of views, of beliefs, that when they're then heard enough and shared enough by others, they, they become, they get taken as, as truth. And then we, we know what's happening for many, for the people who, who were caught up innocently in that kind of uh, dualistic fixation, that idea of not me, not me, everybody else, not me. When they got the virus and they're on their deathbed, they're begging, they're begging to be, uh, to be vaccinated and regretful of not having, um, not just cared for others, but they hadn't cared for themselves in a certain way. And we fall, on, we fall into delusion in so many ways. And it's sad that when I state this, that somehow it could easily be filtered through a political lens as though it's political. It's really about our common humanity. It is about our, our membership in the community of beings. One of the beautiful expressions of the, what I think is the tremendous generosity, and I say, part of the population has become excessively individualistic. But if we really think about it, the bulk of the population has become increasingly more selfless, more generous, more um, caring about the impact of, of our actions. And just one little one that popped up in the news that I'm sure some of you read about it is that there were several animals in a, in a zoo that became infected with COVID. And the, the animals in the zoo 
have now been given the, the COVID, the, the vaccination. And I wonder what the, what the anti-vaxxer would think about, is that a conspiracy too? To, to somehow protect those animals from death? <laughs> There's something really crazy about our humanity. But all of this leads me not just to talk about the, the, the peaceful world requires peaceful people. A safe world requires people who look after each other a happy world, and it's a world, word you don't hear that often, and why, and something that's unique maybe to, in the wisdom traditions, what's unique to Buddha Dharma is that it's all about happiness. It's a, you, in modern terms, it would be called a positive psychology, but it is a, a positive psychology that's in, that's aim is happiness and the elimination of the afflictive emotions that we experience in our life. If we want a happy world, there has to be happy people. People who don't just wait for happiness to, to happen upon them, to stumble on it, to, um, to just show up in our life. But it's understood that happiness, because we're conditioned, is something that one has to recover, has to train our hearts and minds, has to uproot the, those afflictive emotions that, that torment us, and then have us create this condition where we see the world as, um, as a, an unsafe place and experience it that way. So I wanted to talk tonight about a happy world requiring happy people and revisit as we do from time to time here, cycle through, revisit just the possibility that you independent of circumstances, you, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, you are the richest person on earth. You have within you the seeds of happiness. It is your birthright to be happy. And if you are not happy, it it's, has something to do with the way that your mind has been entrained to think, um, to think, um, not so lovingly and not so wisely. And up to a point until we become very conscious of our, our condition, our physical and our mental condition, we're completely innocent. We are completely, we're, we're not to blame for any of this. This is part of a, a, a net of conditioning. But once we wake up a little bit to where we are and consider the possibility 
of making the world a happy place by being a happy person, why would we do anything else? Why would we do anything else? Why would we devote our attention to anything other than bringing about happiness in this world? One person at a time. Now, you may think, oh, if I just train in uprooting the afflictive emotions from my heart, so I'm not just in a state of compulsive desire or in a state of victimization, vic victim, victimhood and in a continual state of blaming and ill will. I just lost, I, I, that was a new tangent I almost went on, but I wanna stay with happiness. Wow, I really got lost there. I'm just gonna be kind and open to a senior moment. Oh, this, this, this aim for happiness is, you may think of it as a, a completely selfish thing. And when there's so much suffering in this world, and today I'm, I've been, it's somehow stayed with me several different times of the day that, that right now with this new greater proliferation of the Delta virus coming simultaneously with the end of this month being the, the end of the moratorium on evictions. I don't know how many of you are following that. But now tens of thousands of people are at risk of losing their homes at the end of this month. Now, if, if that doesn't break your heart, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of countless beings on the earth who either have food insecurity, housing insecurity, land insecurity, water insecurity, everything. It's heartbreaking. But it is the happiness of a conscious being, a well-trained heart and mind that can, that can, and I'm not saying this includes me, but that can have both a sense of a, of a beautiful, happy existence and have your heart broken every day for how much pain there is in this world. And it is a fortified mind, a tender heart that comes through our training that allows us to be able to accommodate the enormity of pain. And again, I have no idea whether I, if I was really in other than the, the what I consider very privileged conditions that I am, that I have, how I would how I would actually, would I have an ability to stay strong and awake in difficult circumstances? I don't know that. But I know that, that something, some effect of practicing mindfulness, practicing loving kindness, 
practicing non-harming that it creates, it has created a, an internal stability and a, a feeling that what's happening in this world is not really other than me. It's not apart from me. And so when, the, when, when there are those with housing insecurity, I feel insecure. So we can both have a very, our own individual comfortable existence, a more happy existence, a, one that's surrounded with, with the possibility of sharing teachings, having good friends, of having enough food on the table. We both, we, it is our practice that allows us to, to reconcile the fact of our own comfort and well-being and the enormity of pain in the world. Because practice not only creates the conditions for gladness and happiness, but it also gives perspective. So in one way, I like to think of the most, the most loving thing that we can do for ourselves is to be, is to grow in wisdom, is to grow in perspective. To, for example, to, as one of my friends was talking about three different, was in a group of Dharma, old Dharma um, friends, one of the first social gatherings I've been to in a long time. And one person was talking about how, how charmed their, their life was. And then at the same time, their heart breaks every day. And this per particular person is, it, it's especially acute around the climate uh, catastrophe that we're all in. But he also has the perspective to understand that, that world systems, the cultures, they come and go. And so has also has a very wide mind that has a certain kind of equanimity. So like, like the famous teaching from Padmasambhava, my mind is as wide and as empty as the sky, but my care for the effects of my actions are as refined as, bar, as barley flour. So we can train to have a very wide view, but also create the internal conditions to, to cause for ourselves and each other a sense of safety and well-being. And so it's both. It's opening to the world. It's also making a happy life because a happy person creates a happy world. And the Buddha said basically there are, there are certain ingredients for making a happy life and a happy mind. The first and foremost is, is to have your life grounded in ethical, moral conduct. To be, have the hub around which you live your everyday life, a commitment to non-harming. And that means to be careful in your speech, how you talk to yourself. How many do you, how many of you talk to yourself unkindly? Any of you? This is completely optional, you know. Of course, we experience the fruits of past habits, 
And it's been I'm, countless times I've just been shocked at how ruthlessly self-critical I could be. And I wouldn't talk to my worst enemy as poorly as I've spoken to myself at times. And that used to be a very chronic tendency. And I would, the way I used to describe it is I would hold my self hostage for days after I said something or did something that I didn't think measured up to this grandiose ideal of myself. I would just, in a sense, pummel myself. Believe it or not, they're little, little wisps like the wisps of fog that still come that are that incline toward self-criticism, but pretty much it's gone. It's gone. And so I know that with more understanding, with more kind, it, kindness directed to myself, kindness directed to others, these this quality of ill will, this afflictive emotion that burdens so many of us as human beings. It's one of the three poisons the Buddha talked about. It literally poisons our mind, the ill will that we have. I had this experience of ill will last week. Unfortunately, it was very short-lived, but it was, it was um, quite acute. And again, it's a it's kind of a first world kind of dukkha. I was in a, I was in a, an acupuncture office. I was getting acupuncture to help regulate my nervous system a little bit, or it's just basic health stuff. And I went to this office and I waited and I waited and an hour and 20 minutes, and the acupuncturist had not come into the room, I became furious. But then, of course, I started reflecting on it, and I was making the case for the prosecution, and nobody's going to disrespect me. And, but then I realized I came to that, re that remembrance, which anybody who's exper experienced, experienced and a turn toward anger as a state of mind to explore, you realize that every time you're angry, you're poisoning yourself. That person's going about doing their life. Meanwhile, you're, you're punishing yourself for what someone else did. And to, use, to see that up close and personal, that's one of the fruits of, of practice. We don't want to do anything that, that inclines our heart toward more ill will, but toward goodwill. This doesn't mean that I, that I just take it upon 100% upon myself to, to resolve that feeling that came up. It was situational. And, and, and I haven't yet had the conversation to resolve it, but, but I will. And I will try not to be too harsh when I say that nobody waits, nobody makes me wait an hour and 20 minutes. But cultivating non-harming in speech, in action, in thoughts, just having it be a, a, a consideration. And then being able to have a, a joy that comes, a happiness that comes that 
says, I tell the truth. I don't have the residue of telling lies, exaggerating. I don't, I don't cheat anyone. I don't, I'm not deceptive. I, can, I have the joy of not having to reverberate from the effects of, of things that I've done, have that regret, remorse, which is actually healthy if I have remorse. But if my mind is essentially left a little bit quiet, I'm not, my mind isn't confused from the excessive use of intoxicants, it's not clouded, it's not, and I can delight in the fact that my mind is a little clear. And if my mind is clear, then I can delight in the second kind of happiness. There's the happiness of non-harming, sometimes called the bliss of blamelessness. Then there's the happiness of, of enjoying the, the pleasure of the senses, to be able to be present, to be mindful of a beautiful I spoke about the fog. You know, I live here in Southern Marin County and the fog has been very persistent lately and it comes in with these beautiful wisps. If I'm actually present for that experience in a non-complaining moment, it's, it's exquisite. And that brings happiness to the heart to be able to enjoy a simple moment of pleasure to enjoy tastes, enjoy touch, enjoy sights, sounds. Our senses were not meant to be shut down, not meant to be occluded or clouded. They're meant to be freshened all the time. Anything you can do to turn your own home into a, a temple, into a living um, a, Buddha field. It's not about going on retreat. It's about being awake in your environment. So the Buddha talked about the sense pleasures being the, the fruit of being of non-harming, to be able to enjoy your life. But he also includes having perspective about the world of sense pleasures. That if we devote our entire life to the pleasure of the senses, then when we have them, when we're able to enjoy the pleasure, we're happy. And then when we're not in a, in a situation where there's, there is pleasant sensations, pleasant experiences, that makes us unhappy. So we can't depend on the sensations, the pleasant sensations and pleasant experiences. But when we, when we do experience it, it's important that we can take it in, we can let it gladden our heart, but then also learn with perspective to let it go. And that leads to the highest kind of happiness because the happiness of ordinary sense pleasures, 
It's not so reliable. And even the happiness of meditative states is not so reliable, not so reliable, very useful, very, very healing, very calming. But every state of mind we learn with perspective is coming and going. So any experience that has the nature to change is unreliable. And then it's possible to have a happiness that is free, that is independent of circumstances. The highest happiness is a, is a mind that is free, liberated from confusion, liberated from, from a dependency on things being the way you want them to be. All of this is made available when we, for the purpose of happiness of all beings, not just for ourselves, when we make being happy, being well, being healthy, when we make that the hub around which we live our lives. I think of the words of Rabbi Hillel from, I think it's from the 10th century or something, or maybe 1,000, I forgot when he lived. But he said, if I am not, if I am not for me, who will be for me? If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, then what am I? So implied in this is that, that we must apprehend, we must be the guide as an individual of our own liberation. But we don't do it in a vacuum. We do it with in mind always um, the happiness of others. I think that's all I have for right now, but I am open to any questions that anyone might have, any comments, descriptions, could be related to the meditation this evening or anything I've just said. We'll just take a few minutes. Madison, please. Thank you for breaking the ice. You have to unmute though. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I was a total failure in meditation tonight. I know you don't use that term. Uh, my mind was going nonstop. Finally, at 41 minutes, I said, I can't stand it anymore. Just prepare the dinner and give it up. But I've been, but I've been here for what it's worth. And um, this will be a continuous issue, I guess, whether or not I can quiet the mind. But I wanted to, to make a quick comment that I would make available to you or anyone else. I have a guy who hauls stuff for me and he's a non, he's an anti-vaxxer and he sent his whole opinion piece and I couldn't read it. It was so retching, but I have the page of this particular philosophy and anybody that would want to see it, they can. But what was stunning was he was writing this to me and we were agreeing to disagree, I guess. And he was telling me I had no right to disagree because I'm an uninformed person, unlike he is. 
And then at the end of this email, he said, and I love you. And I almost fell over because I've known him for 10 years and I've been using his services for 10 years. And suddenly I went back to the first time I met him when he moved me into a room and I served him pomegranates, a dish of pomegranates. And how I loved that I had somebody who would appreciate having a snack of pomegranates. And I've been trying to hold that thought all day that no matter where he is, this is my friend of the pomegranates. So for, for what it's worth. Gorgeous. Thank you so much for the story. And uh, if you have, if you, if your heart can be open in situations like this, you're, you are not, you can be a failure in meditation. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. No, but, but believe me, you're not a failure in meditation. Only, you're only a failure if you think you should be able to quiet your mind. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to know what's in your mind, not to quiet it. The quietness is the byproduct of, of knowing what's there and in the progressively being less bothered by it. As long as you're bothered by your mind being busy and think it should be quiet, you'll be just tormented mercilessly. But if you're not bothered by it, it'll quiet. Okay, that was the part I missed then. Yes, I was bothered by it. and that, But I still forgive myself because it's been 10 years of doing this and I realize it's going to happen. Yeah. So Great. thank you very much. And, and the topic was really apropos in terms of this vaccine stuff because I'm going through all the emotions. But when I got that little note of I love you, it cut through everything. And he's beautiful. the one who wrote it, not me. Beautiful, beautiful. But yes. I heard it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And that people who disagree are not demons. <laughs> yes. It's a good thing to remember. Thank you, Madison. Anyone else before we shift gears, please feel free. Okay. Well, thanks for your kind attention. And I think maybe we'll do one final, hopefully the whole talk, I don't know if it was a talk or just a stray stream of consciousness, but it had, at least in my ear, that the, the tone or the, the flavor of, or the reminder of that we do this not just for ourselves, but for all beings. But this is an opportunity at the end to take anything that's happened that was useful for you in your own practice and the, the Dharma to consider any goodness, any blessings, any fruits of our time that we, we give it away. We just radiate the wish, our deepest wish in all directions that all beings 
including ourselves, can be happy and peaceful and safe, protected, healthy, strong, free of COVID, free of all dis-ease, mental and physical, a deep wish that all beings can, can accommodate their, their difficulties with mind and body, with, uh, with equanimity, and a deep wish that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings know the highest happiness. May all beings be liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.